Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. Kind of, I want to jump into <clears throat> Isaiah, the, where we started off last week in Isaiah. If you did not get to hear it, I encourage you to go back um, quickly at some point today, tomorrow, this week, quickly, and go listen to last Sunday's message as we titled it, What More? And we're going to spend four to five weeks uh, just having this conversation and asking this question of what more? What more? What more? And we, we looked at Isaiah, uh, specifically chapter 5. And it was a very interesting time. And I'm not going to get so into it today because we introduced that last week. But we were talking about the vineyard. That vineyard that God had put here was the Lord's vineyard. And we spoke about Israel and Judah. And how they were this vineyard on the land to be blessed and to be a blessing. And the Lord put so many things in their midst. He took away the stones that were going to hinder them from growing and producing. He put a watchtower in the center, which signifies strength, um, which signifies uh, a protection and, and so forth. He, he went ahead and he put a, a, vine, a wine press also right in the middle, uh, which is also a beautiful thing because from the wine press, we give that to the world and to be a blessing. And I said that though it's written for Judah and Israel that we could take this and it has meaning for the days that we live in for ourselves and we could apply chapter 5 in our lives. And then he says, I was waiting eagerly. I was watching you. I was, I was looking into your lives and what I wanted was for you to produce good fruit and good grapes. But instead, my vineyard, they began to produce bad grapes, sour grapes, wild grapes. And they were no good. They were no good for the vineyard. They were going to produce nothing good. And, and he pretty much tells his people, he's like, what more could I have done? What more could I have put in your, pl- in your plate? What more could I have done so that you could succeed, so that you could prosper, so that you could be blessed and understand the blessing of this time and that in that you could also be a blessing to those around you, a blessing to this world. What more? And we, we looked into that last week. Go back and hear it. And I want to kind of jump into that. What more? Because there's an answer. Because we actually started the message with verse 20. Where he says, what sorrow for those who say that evil is good and that good is evil. That dark is light and that light is dark. That bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. We said, what sorrow for those who are wise in their own eyes. What sorrow for those and, and we, we read that passage and we see that there's this contradiction in, during this time. There, there's a people that are exchanging, that are substituting evil and good. And they're switching it for each other. They're, they're grabbing the things that are good and they're exchanging it for things that are evil. And then they're calling the things that are evil good. They're grabbing the things that are sweet and turning it into things that are bitter. And as they are performing and acting in the things that are bitter, yet they're calling those bitter things sweet. They're grabbing light and they're exchanging it for darkness and they're living in darkness. And as they're living in darkness, they take a hold of that and they call darkness light. Think about what that does to the Father's heart. Think about what that does to the, to, to the heart of heaven. In your midst, I put what is good. In your midst, I put what is light. In your midst, I put what is sweet. And who are we to exchange one for the other? How many of you can say amen? And that is what the Lord was saying to his people. In Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20. Whoa, danger. Sorrow. For those who are doing those things. And, and you read this. You, you read about some 27, 100 years ago or whatnot. And you're like, whoa, some things just never change. 
Some things just never change. We're living in a world today which they've done what? They've done exactly this. They've exchanged the things that are good for evil and then we're living in evil. We're calling it good. They're exchanging the things that are light for darkness and in darkness they're calling it light and they're exchanging the things that are bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter and in bitterness we're calling it sweet. Are we not living this moment at this time of this age in the same spirit that Isaiah when it was written chapter 5? I mean, we can't deny it. We can't deny it at all. Can't deny it. And that's where we're at. So today, as we say, what more? Everyone say, what more? What more? What more? Well, well, the answer is, be good. If there's anything more, just be good. Be good. Choose good. Do good. Why? Because God is good. And if we are of God and God is good, then we're good. We're good. We're called to be good. Well, you know, all man is bad. Okay, we're good. Take that for yourself. We're good. And we're to be good. And we're to do good. We're not to exchange the goodness of God for the evils of this world. We need to be more good. We're called to be good. What more? I'll tell you what more. Be good. Be good. Be good. I want to I share an article from Billy Graham. And he wrote this years ago. He passed away already. But ugh, what an amazing article this is. It's almost, it's almost, it's the message, really. It's, it's, he's preaching from this text. And he titles this article, look at this title, Confusing Evil with Good. So I'm going to read it to you. And I'm, I'm not sure if it'll come up in the screen. If it doesn't, just hear me out. <clears throat> And I'm going to break it, and then towards the end, I'll, I'll finish it. It says, humanity has always been dexterous at confusing evil with good. That was Adam and Eve's problem, and it is our problem today. If evil were not made to appear good, there would be no such thing as temptation. It is in their close similarity that danger lies. Someone has said, Quote, a wrong deed is right if the majority of people declare it not to be wrong. By this principle, we can see our standards shifting from year to year according to the popular vote. Divorce was once frowned upon by society, and laws against fornication and adultery were strictly enforced. But now divorce is accepted by society, and fornication is glorified in our literature and films. The Bible says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. God has not changed. His standards have not been lowered. God still calls immorality a sin. And the Bible says God is going to judge it. Honesty was once the hallmark of character. But it has been set aside with an it's all right if you don't get caught philosophy. Only when we are in court are we required to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Evil worms its way into our lives by presenting a harmless appearance, such as the full-page, full-color ads of the man of distinction, dressed impeccably, sipping a glass of whiskey with his friends in the warmth of a well-appointed room. Such ads say nothing of the new alcoholics that are being made every day, nor of the problem of excessive drinking that is eating at the heart of our civilization. Of course, it wouldn't be in good taste to show a picture of a man in distinction on Skid Row who began his drinking on Fifth Avenue, but it is ending now in the Bowery. I looked that up in the farm. It wouldn't be in good taste, but it would be, this, it would be honest. Woe to those who call evil good. The young couple, though they have been warned of the psychological and spiritual dangers of premarital intimacies, they sit in a parked car and flirt with tragedy, all the while calling the experience heavenly. That which is heavenly within the marriage bond can become a hell of remorse to those who indulge in it outside of marriage. Woe to those who call evil good. Are you with me? 
I think the article is wonderful. I'll keep reading it. If you like it, I'll keep reading it. I'll get back to it. But if we're going to be good, in the phrase, in the way I wrote it, more good, we must know what is good if we're going to be good. We We must know where good comes from. This is very simple today. What's good? Where does it come from? Where does good come from? What is good? Come on, what's the last question? And how can I be good? Where does it come from? What is it? And how can I be it? Just give me those answers and I'll be good. And I'll be all right. Maybe I could come to the place, finally surrender to it. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 and 17, it speaks about a man coming up to the Lord and he tells the Lord, Teacher, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? What do I have to do that is good so that I can have eternal life? And Jesus says to this man, Why do you ask me? What is good? Look what he says. There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. What what is Jesus pointing at? Who is Jesus pointing to? Why do you ask what is good? There's only one who is good. Only in understanding God as infinitely good can this young man discover that human good deeds cannot earn eternal life. Eternal life is earned through the goodness of God, not through the goodness of man. The goodness of man, the Bible says, are as a filthy rag before the Lord. It's in the goodness of the Lord. And that's what Jesus points to. Only one is good. In Scripture, we could quickly come to that place, to that conclusion. That God is good. God is good. We were talking today and last week and the week before that and the week before that and the week before that that our God is a good Father. How many of you continue to hear that here on a Sunday? And we're not going to stop saying that. We're not going to stop saying it. That our God is goodness. It's the goodness of the Lord that will lead man to to repentance and to righteousness. But lead man to repentance. It's not you scaring them and fearing them. It's the goodness of the Lord. That leads men. God is good. Everyone say that. God is good. Hopefully you wrote that down. That's actually a very important theme for this message. God is good. And I'm called to be good as well. More good. And we come to that conclusion. It comes from from God. All goodness comes from God. Yes, God is good. Let's just read some scripture here and have some fun. In in Psalm 136 verse 1, it says, Give thanks to the Lord, comma, guess what it says next? For he is good. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Psalm 25 verse 8 says, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he teaches sinners in the way. The Lord is good and upright. Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 20 says, You also gave your good spirit to instruct them and then not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for thirst. Speaking of those in the wilderness, the Israelites. And Nehemiah 9.20 says, you gave them your good spirit. It comes from God. Good. In Hebrews, New Testament, chapter 9, verse 11, it says, but Christ came as a high priest, as a high priest of what? Of what? Of the Good things to come. Come on. Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come. With what? With the greater and more perfect tabernacle. Not made with hands that is not of this creation. Heaven came to earth in the goodness of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That stuff should excite you. It is not earthly, this goodness that we're talking about. Where does good come from? It comes from nowhere of earth. All goodness, um, uh, uh, as we unwrap scripture, comes from heaven. Comes from God. Goodness is not an earthly thing. Goodness is a heavenly thing. Goodness comes from the creator of it. From our creator, our God, our Lord. Amen. Goodness is of the Lord. It's a heavenly goodness. All Good comes from God. Number one, God is good. Number one, say, God is good. God is good. Number two, 
all good comes from God. God is good, and all good comes from God. All good comes from God. So he's just not good, reigning in goodness. He's just not good, but all good comes from him, meaning from his goodness he pours out. He shares his goodness with man. Humbling to, to, to understand that God allows me to be a what? A partaker of his goodness. How many of you are partakers of God's goodness? God does not just sit in goodness and say, come on and worship me because I'm good. But he also says, not just worship me because I'm good, but get up here and sit with me in heavenly places and partake in the goodness of what I am and who I am. I mean, it's mind-blowing to think that in his goodness, he says, I love you so much that not only am I going to uh, take all the goodness and hoard it for myself, but I love you so much that I will share my goodness with you. All good comes from him. In Romans 8, 28, we know this verse very well. It says, and we know that in all things, God works for good. Those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. He works it for good because all good comes from him. Peter is preaching to Cornelius' household and he's preaching about Jesus. And as he is preaching about Jesus to this Gentile household. Not Jews, but Gentiles. In Acts chapter 10, where they're all going to be saved in a moment. And not just saved, but where the Holy Spirit is going to baptize every single one of them. And in Acts chapter 10, Peter stands up. And in one of these verses, he says something that is so important. And he says how God anointed Jesus in verse 38. He anointed Jesus. God anointed the son Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And look what it says. Who went about doing Good. What does that mean? That Jesus went around doing the Father's good. Jesus' whole ministry, Jesus' whole person, Jesus' own life was to what? To reveal the goodness of the Father, which is why we always say what we say. He was trying to reveal to his followers that if you've seen me in my goodness, you've seen the goodness of our Father. If you've walked alongside me and seen what? The lame walk, the blind see. You've seen the death, the, the death of death here, the death come to life. You've seen those things. You've seen good. You've seen many who were lost come and be found. You've seen good. Then I'm telling you, you've seen the Father in its fullest form because He is good. <laughs> this is awesome. So, so what is what is he saying here? He says, God anointed his son Jesus. And Jesus went around filled with the Holy Spirit with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. And it says, for God was with him. Jesus was good. And the goodness came from the Father. I'll read you more scripture. It's, full of, it's all, over, all over the book. It's all over the Bible. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4, it says, for everything created by God. Come on. Everything created by God is Good. <laughs> I, I, I'll pause there for a moment. I love, and I'm going to get to this, right? I'm going to share this verse, but day one, he creates. Day two, he creates. Day three, he creates. Four, five, and six, he creates. Day seven, he says, I'm good to rest now. But after each day of creation, he would look at what he created, and there was one phrase that he would always say to end that day. What was it? It is good. <laughs> That's so good. It is good good creator created my creation is good he looked at the mirror and says dang i did good man i did good that is good it is good look how i gave this earth water look how i gave this earth trees look how i gave this earth animals Look how I gave this earth. Look, look at it in its perfection. How the, how the sun becomes medicine to their skin. 
how the how it becomes from these hours the day it's day and there's light and these hours it's night i mean i mean man i did good it is good it is good it is good it is good he says, for everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. In James, James writes this down in chapter 1, verse 17. If you're writing all these verses down, it says in James 1, 17, it says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And it comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation, no change or shadow of turning. I love that. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. Number one, God is good. Number two, all good comes from God. In Genesis 1, we said God was creating everything. And God saw it. He says in Genesis 1, that was good. In Psalm 84, verse 11, it says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. Look what it says next. No Good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. All goodness comes from God is good and he works out. All that he works out is good. How many of you could say amen? What is good then? Good is, is God and it's morally excellent. God is morally excellent. God is virtuous and righteous. He's, he's a righteous God. An excellent God in all aspects of his being. And that's what good is. Listen, to the, the Lord is good. And when you come to realize that, when you come to realize that he's good, you will place your life under his control. We spent a moment today in worship saying to surrender yourselves, to surrender yourself to his goodness. And that's exactly my point right here. When we come to recognize that he is good and all good comes from him, there's only one choice left. There's only one decision to make. And that is what? Surrender. Surrender and place your life under his goodness. Why would you not want to place his life under his goodness? Maybe there's someone watching. Why would you not want to place your life under his goodness? When you get a glimpse of his goodness, you will... Man, have no choice but to separate yourself from evil, from bad, the things that are bad. But you will enter his good. That's why at times, what do we do? We just let people go through the journey of life. We're a helper. We're a counselor. We're a moment of uh, uh, fresh air, you know, in their lives, a, a, a deep breath that they could take. But there has to come to a point in their journey where they come to experience the goodness of God. Encounter the goodness of God for themselves. None of us can fabricate the goodness of God. We can't reel someone in here and say, okay, ready? When they walk in, let's go ahead and let's what? Let's illustrate the goodness of God. They have to come to full revelation that God is good for themselves. In his presence. In who he is. And when man comes into that place to recognize that God is good, that man will change and all evil will turn. All evil will turn to that which is good. No person, think about this in life, no person will trust a man, a person who is evil, a bad individual. I wouldn't want to place my children in the hands of someone who is evil. Will any parent here want to place their children in someone's hand that is evil? No way. There's no way. I remember when my son would get hurt when he was little in the daycare. There was an investigation. You know, I want to make sure exactly what they tell me. It is what happened. How did he break that tooth? I want to make sure it was him who broke it and no one else broke it for him, you know? I want to, you know, because it's my child and I don't want him to be amongst evil. I want to make sure that, that, that the best is for them. I want to make sure that they're okay, that they're in a good place. No person will place their trust in an evil person, in a bad man, one who is moral, uh, morally a failure, unrighteous, unethical, a dishonest person. Come on, would you, would you, would you, would you trust someone with your money who you know it's unethical? Someone that you know is a dishonest person. He's like, I just trust you with these $5,000 and I think you'll do good with it. Really? You're going to trust someone with that? And then when they steal your money, you're going to come to a shrine and like, they took my five. I'm going to be like, of course. You had no discernment. <laughs> the person was evil. It was bad. It was dishonest. We'll never place our trust in a man like that, in a person like that. No person would. At least any person that has the right mind to think. No one. No one will. So what do we place our trust in? We place our trust in the one who is good. Man, during this time, why are we preaching these messages, these series of messages? Because this is an alarm. This is an alert for the age that we're in. And that is what? 
Come on, seriously, did you see the television screen a couple weeks ago or a week ago? You're really going to trust the man on that side? Our trust is in the one true and living God. We have a responsibility, we got to do what's right, but our trust is in Jesus. And we can't falter, we can't confuse that, not ever. We need to be the goodness of this land because the goodness of God lives in us. And in that I will live trusting in God. No matter if it gets brighter or if it gets darker, I will be good in this land. Who do we place our trust in? Because come on, we're living in a time where do we really know where to place our trust in? Who do we put the bet on? Who do we bet on? Who do we put the chips on? There's, the answer is obvious these days. And I believe heaven is doing it on purpose. I believe heaven wants you to say, finally, come, sons and daughters. Come, come, come and abide. Come and abide. Come and abide. Let the branches get connected with the vineyard. And let the, let the farmer do what he's got to do so that you will produce much fruit. Come. Now that I've broken your trust in man, now that I've broken your, 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 your idols, and I've broken the things that you've longed for, now that I've broken the world around you, you can't trust scientists anymore, you can't trust doctors anymore, you can't trust politicians no more, so there is one who sits on his throne, and he says, you can always trust me. They've all failed us. They've all failed us. And get ready. It's going to get worse. They're going to continue to fail us. And the sound of heaven is going to be a reminder that says, I never have. I am not right now. And I never will fail you. The one who sits on his throne, you place your trust in him. Be good. He is good. I think about David and In the book of Psalms, and I think about Solomon in Proverbs. What does David say in chapter 16, verses 1, 2, and then we'll skip to 5. What does he say? He says this, preserve me, oh God, for in you I put my trust. Don't you feel like that? Preserve me. Preserve me. Keep me, for in you I place my trust. That's, everyone say daddy. That's daddy David talking. I'm wondering in breakfast if he would teach his sons lessons. I'm wondering during the dinner table at times if he would speak to young Solomon about trusting in the Lord. I'm wondering if he would tell Solomon stories of his failures, of his mishaps, of his mistakes, of when he trusted his own strength, of when he trusted those around him and he failed. I wonder if, if he ever sat with Solomon and told Solomon, let me, let me tell you a little bit about my life and about what I've gone through so that I could come to a place to finally trust in the Lord in my old age, son. Let me share with you some stories. How many of you think that Daddy David did that with his son Solomon? This is why I tend to think like that because... David says in verse 1, preserve me for, oh God, for in you I put my trust. And look what, look what his very own son writes in Proverbs 3, 5, 6. He says, trust in the Lord. <laughs> he's, he's echoing what daddy's taught him. I used to sit with my dad and my dad used to tell me to trust in the Lord. And here I am now, a grown man, and I'm going to write these words down. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And if all, in all of your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Trust in the Lord. Learn that from Papa. Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. Psalm 16, verse 2 says, O my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Look what he says next. My goodness is nothing apart from you. He got the whole filthy rag idea. If, if there's anything of goodness that I'm going to present to you, it's nothing apart from you. My goodness is in you. My goodness. My goodness is empty without you. Verse 5, he says, David says, writes this down. Oh Lord, I love this. You are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. Ah, that's powerful. One translation says it this way. My choice is you, God, first and only. And now I find I'm your choice. That's so good. You are the portion of my inheritance 
you are my cup. You're my goodness. You guys are there with that. Hope you could be encouraged with that. Listen, these words cannot be uttered unless they know that God is good. And David and Solomon had to know that God is good. And we place our trust in the Lord because he is good. And we know that we are not so that he is good. So if I'm not good, I can't even trust in myself. That's for sure. So Lord, you're good. So in you, I put my trust so that way I can live in the goodness of the Lord. I can't live in my own goodness. It has to be the goodness of the Lord. I'm going to keep giving you scripture if you don't mind. The servant with the two talents, if you know that story in Matthew chapter 25. It's a parable that Jesus shares to his followers. But I want to grab a section of it for the sake of time. And in verse 22 and in verse 23, this man is presented before the master. And in verse 22 it says, He also who had received two talents came and he said, Lord, you delivered me two talents. But look, I've gained now two more talents besides them. So I've multiplied it. So his Lord said to him, well done, well done, good job well done but look what he says next well done and he says good good and faithful servant for you've been faithful over a few things but now i will make you ruler over many things enter into the joy of your lord enter into the goodness of the lord the servant did good you guys see that in this passage the servant did good he did the what the moral thing the virtuous thing the righteous thing why Because he knew his master. This servant specifically, the other one didn't, but this one, he knew his master. And And it's not that his master was wrong, strict, would punish him, but he was good. And in that goodness, there was judgment, there's accountability. I want you to understand that the goodness of God does not just automatically ignore your sins. The goodness of God will what? Will have to confront your sins, will grow you. Don't ever confuse the goodness of the Lord to say, oh, God is good. He'll never send someone to hell. You're right. God will never send someone to hell. Man sends themselves to hell. God is good. Man has decided that on their own. God is good. And in that goodness, there is judgment. There is accountability. There is fairness because he's good. He's fair. And the servant knew the master. You are good. You're morally excellent. You're virtuous. You're righteous. How can I dare, dare to shortchange you and receive the consequences of such actions? You're good. So in return, the servant does what is good. The servant decides on his own, I'm going to do what is right, morally excellent, virtuous and righteous. I wrote this down, I bolded it, highlighted it. You could write it down if you desire. Listen, if you cannot humble yourself under the authority of his goodness, how will you ever operate or be authorized to be good? I'll say it again. If you cannot humble yourself under the authority of his goodness, how will you ever operate or be authorized to be good? The Lord will appoint me to be good once I submit to his goodness. We must separate evil. We must separate that which is bad from our lives. How many of you can say amen? And submit to what is good. Sin is not good. Say that out loud. Don't be scared to say it. Sin is not good. Don't submit to sin. Not good. Submit to God who is good. So what do I do, man? Just start start working on yourself and allow the Holy Spirit to, to lead you in that. Get rid of evil talk. Fight off evil thinking. How many of you are sitting here and you've been fighting off the evil thinking? You've just been fighting off your mind. Good. It's a reminder. The Lord is like, fight it off. Get rid of the evil thinking. Get rid of evil talk. Get rid of the evil thinking decide against the evil choices decisions don't decide the things that are evil walk away from evil how many of you have walked into evil and the Lord is like walk away from evil away from it turn from it choose good choose God be more good amen I think we're drilling that enough today Evil and darkness and light listen to this you should know this it's from the foundation of all creation and I'm just going to remind you again Today, evil, darkness, and light, goodness, cannot and will never dwell together. That it's why when darkness is in the midst of light, eventually that darkness will be exposed. That is why when evil is in the midst midst of good, that is why that evil will have to be exposed. Because it cannot dwell together. It cannot. He says in the scripture of Isaiah, Woe to those who call evil good. 
Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6.14, just giving you more scripture. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6.14, what communion, what fellowship has light with darkness? You think God and Lucifer just have a cup of tea together every once in a while? There's no fellowship. There's no communion between light and dark. Can't happen. We have the different agendas. We have different vision. It's just, you're not going to take me where... I need to go and vice versa. It's just not going to work out. And what communion, what fellowship has light with darkness? That's in 2 Corinthians 6.14. In John chapter 1 verse 5, it says the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness do not comprehend it. They can't understand it. Light shines and the darkness says, I got to go. Have you ever been to a room that is pitch dark? Pitch dark. You can't even see your hand in front of you. You turn on the lights. Has darkness ever won that fight? Has darkness just stayed and said, sorry, light, not today. Today, we're taking over this room. I have never experienced it, not yet. I have not walked into a pitch dark room. Or I've never gone to a, a middle of a land or some sort of forest or something like that. And it's been pitch dark where, or maybe in the middle of the ocean. Pitch dark. You can't see the hand in front of you. But the moment you put on the flashlight, the moment you light up the candle, the moment you hit the switch and light turns on, darkness cannot comprehend it. Darkness has to go because light always has more power. What am I trying to tell you? Goodness is always better and it's always greater than that which is evil and bad. In scripture, the Lord created things like that. It's a comparison, contrast always. There's heaven, there's hell, there's angels, there's demons, there's light, there's darkness. There's law, there's grace. You guys are with me? It's the way God designed it. It's the way that God created it. I'm giving you this option and I'm giving you this option. There is light and there is dark. There is light and there is dark. But man... You will always find me in that which is good. That which is on the good side. You'll always find me there. Though there are two. Why should. Why is there two? Because there is. There is. Stop debating God. Stop wrestling with God. Stop trying to prove that God does not exist. He exists. You're going to lose the match. He's going to dislocate your hip. You're going to walk with a limp for the rest of your life. And you're going to have to explain to everyone I wrestled with God one time. And he destroyed me. And here I am. I'll never stop serving him again. Just save yourself a battle if you want. And understand that come to what is good. Come to what is right. Come and live in light. And I'm telling you, darkness will not comprehend it. It is good. He is good. All right, let's continue Billy Graham's article and then the worship team come up and we'll end this as i read it you can start preparing yourselves but billy graham as we continue the article remember we left off with 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 this one piece i said that which is heavenly within marriage bond can become a hell of remorse to those who indulge in the outside of marriage woe to those who call evil good and we're just going to continue and flow from there it says this and in this article How do we get our values so mixed up? How do we fall into this trap of Satan? These are questions he's asking. For one thing, we're short-sighted. We look for shortcuts to happiness. Come on. Is this not us today? We look for shortcuts to happiness. Our lust for immediate pleasure prompts us to think of evil as good. Another way to call evil good is to say that morals are relative. Someone has said, quote, as the occasion, so the behavior, end quote. We've changed our moral code to fit our behavior instead of changing our behavior to harmonize with our moral code. Nothing is firm today. We're not on solid ground. Young people are shifting from one side to the other. Morally, they are drifting aimlessly without compass or guide. Hazen G. Werners, who served as a United Methodist bishop in Ohio, Hong Kong, and Taiwan, once said, There is no more startling phenomenon 
in our day than the respectabilization of evil. We accept in stride the false promises of politicians, the misrepresentations in advertising, the everyday dishonesties of Mr. and Mrs. John Doe, the cheating on exams, the usual exaggerations in conversation and the common immoralities of our times. We no longer blush and we're no longer shocked by the immorality that's going on around us and about us. Woe to those who call evil good. Anyone getting rocked in the spirit? Through a popular technique called rationalization, we find it easy to call evil good. How easy it is to place the blame on others, on circumstances, or on fate. From Adam, it starts there, who said, The woman whom you gave to me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. To a member of the Senate who says, I did nothing that a thousand other men would have never would have not done. We excuse ourselves and we call evil good. How can we get our values straightened out? How can our warped judgment be brought into line? How can we stop calling evil good? This is good here. Some tell us that education is the answer to this question. Prove to people that crime doesn't pay, that illicit sex is psychologically harmful, that excessive drinking is harmful to the body and brain, that honesty is the best policy. Let knowledge redeem them, they say. Others say it's science. Science is the answer. Science can make a clean bomb. Science can make a harmless cigarette. Science can cope with the problems of alcohol. Science, they say, can tap the brain of man and alter his desires and make him civilized. Science, some proclaim, is the answer to the problems of man. But the Bible, which has withstood the ravages of time, tells us a different story. It says that we possess a nature that wars against us. That seeks to destroy us. Please listen to that. The apostle Paul said. This is good. Romans 7.21. The apostle Paul says. I find then a law that evil is present with me. And the one who wills to do good. Evil is present in us. Disguising itself as good. Controlling us. Deceiving us. Sin is why the atonement was necessary. Why the sacrifice of Jesus was necessary. Christ died on the cross to make us one with him. Dead to sin and alive to righteousness. Come on, how many of you can say amen? Man without God is a contradiction. A paradox. A monstrosity, he says. He sees evil as good and good as evil. This is why some people love evil and hate that which is good. They are still in their sins. For them, life's values are confused. Paul found the cure for his violent, Paul found the cure for his violent, destructive disposition. Not at the feet of Gamaliel or in the culture of Greece, but on the Damascus road when he met Jesus Christ. My God. And later on in the next chapter in Romans, he writes something different. In Romans 8, 2, he writes, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free. From the law of sin and death. Wow. Did you hear Paul's writing? He went from, I find then a law that is evil and present in me, the one who wills to do good. And later on, he comes to write, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Let's keep reading as we close off. Before his conversion, conversion, he saw Christ as the greatest evil. Paul. Acts tells us this, that he breathed out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. That's in Acts chapter 9 verse 1. But after he encountered Christ on the road of Damascus, he loved what he had so fervently hated. At last, he could see evil as evil and see good as good. 
And according to Acts chapter 9, verse 18, what does it say? There fell from his eyes something like scales. His values were straightened out because his nature had been changed by the redeeming grace of God. Christ can do the same for you. When Paul heard the voice, he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, what do you want me to do? Jesus Christ is calling you out of a world, out of a world of delusion, out of a world of deception. This world is delu it's filled with delusion and deception, and he's calling you out of this world, which is evil. And in evil, they call it good. And now what they're doing is they're calling the good and they're calling it evil. Only if the scales from all of our eyes, if they fall, will we be able to acknowledge him as Lord. But all of this starts with having a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. It all starts there. Amen. I end with this verse. Can you stand with me? I end with Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. In Philippians 4, 8 and 9, Paul writes these words. And he says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report. If there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. On what? Good. Good. You meditate on these things. Good. Nothing there was evil. Nothing there was dark. Meditate on what is good. Verse 9. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, Paul says. These do. And the God of peace will be with you. Paul is telling his followers, do good as I do good. Be good as I am good. It's time that you tell your followers, be good as I am good. Do good as I do good. Stop justifying and excusing sin and bad and evil in your life. And meditate finally on the things that are good so that those would follow in your steps in the goodness of the Lord. Amen? What more? I'll tell you what more. Be more. Come on, church. Come on, Nest. Be more. But what? Be, if you're going to be anything, be more good. Be more good. Come on, the truth is if I do an altar call right now. We should all be on our knees in that altar. All of us. All of us should be on the altar call. So I don't want to be up here and force you guys to come up to the altar call. I'm going to ask you right there to run to the altar call of your heart. I want you to surrender your thoughts, surrender your heart, surrender your mind right now. At the end of the day, you need to encounter it. You need to encounter the goodness of the Lord like Paul did. You need to be transformed. We all do. Our friends, our family do. And some of us, we have to grips. We have to understand this. That God is going to use us in some of those people's lives. The people that we do life with, we need to be the good presented before them. Come on, let's pray. And give yourself, all of yourselves to the Lord. Surrender to his goodness as we pray today. Lord, here is your body, here is your bride. Those that are watching right now, online, and those that are present here with us. And Lord, we are thankful and we're grateful for the presence that we feel in this place. We, we feel the presence of God, the anointing of God, and it's here. We believe that your presence is here, that your angels are singing over us. And Lord, I pray today if there's anyone 
watching or present that is calling evil good. That is calling bittersweet. That is calling darkness light. I pray that you would encounter them on their road like you encountered Paul on his road to Damascus. And right there in their journey, that you would blind them from everything that is evil. Blind them like you blinded Paul. Blind them. So that when they can see again and you remove those scales from their eye and they encounter your goodness, all they could see is the honor to live in the goodness that is found in their God. Lord, I pray for freedom over this house. Freedom for everyone that's here, everyone that's listening. There's people in Atlanta listening now, in New Jersey that are listening to us now. And from different places that are going to watch this throughout this week. And I pray, Lord God, that there would be an evident transformation of evil to good. And that, Lord, that we would learn that you are good. That all good comes from you. And that I'm called now to be more good. To be good in this land. We're living in a time... Where we don't have answers, but we put our trust in the one who holds all the answers. Our trust is not in man, it's not in doctors, it's not in science, it's not in those of the law. Our, our trust is in you, O oh Lord. And may we never remove our trust from you. We love you. We thank you for such a beautiful time in your word. In your presence, be glorified. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And together we say, amen. Come on, give them the highest praise. This morning, the word. Let's see if, um, let's see if you got the revelation or not. God is good. Now you got the revelation. And all the time. The first one was louder. Shame on you. Amen. Listen, y'all. I really hope to see all of you on Tuesday at 8 p.m. at our hub on, um, on Zoom. Check us out. We'd love for you to join us. Remember these three words for sure in the goodness of the Lord. Remember these three words. You are loved. Amen.